aka one day one and um i want to jump this show off by just starting about the three principles you just heard about we got your personal business your in-home business real estate you know that's always the quickest way to wealth and then we got your stocks and uh i just want to cover a few things and and we'll get into a little bit later on about a good friend of mine Shout out to John Livingston. And, uh, thank you for supporting my podcast. I appreciate you, brother. And uh, yeah, let's get this going. So, wealth. I think a lot of people want that. Rhymes with health. But on a serious note, I'm not going to hit you with a bunch of corny stuff. Um, look, I'm 33. I've lived a pretty awesome life since I left Illinois, only to come back and kind of see a lot of friends and family still struggling. And that's heartbreaking, man. And I feel like I could give them money, I suppose, and I could do a lot of these other things. But I've been down that path before. And in the spirit of Boyce Watkins, I'd rather teach you. I'd, I'd rather you learn these three principles and I'm going to give you references from where I learned them. And that is involving wealth and the three, three specific principles of your in-home business, your real estate portfolio and your stock portfolio, right? If you have those three things in America, regardless of what you do as a profession outside of that, hopefully your in-home business ends up being your profession but if you have those three things even if you have a w-2 job right now you're gonna make it you name you may not be jeff bezos but you're gonna make it i mean you can at least bare minimum live better than your local mayor and if i must say mayors live pretty good but not gonna jump on that train right now in-home business, what does that look like? First things first, your in-home business is anything you want it to be. What I prefer you to do is your passion. That's what I prefer you to do. I want you to think about what you would do essentially for free. What you would do, whether you were paid or not, something you genuinely love and learn how to monetize it. In my case, it happens to be dogs. And everything dogs, whether it be in-home care, end-of-life care. I specifically have a program for puppy raising and last to the extent of the dog because I love everything canine. My business is called Leash Legacy. Um, you, you're going to run into these things where some people at the end of that would be like, shameless plug. Nah, you, you got to be built different. It's your business. It's your livelihood. And when I say it's your business... It's something that you can give to your kid. It's something you can give to a sibling. It's literally yours. I remember watching uh, The Breakfast Club on YouTube. And uh, I absolutely love The Breakfast Club, by the way. But Dame Dash is on there, who is one of my favorite men of enterprise. And he said something that was profound. Like, he talked to, I forget the DJ's name. High yellow brother like me. I forget him, but he, him and uh, 
him and Charlemagne were always going back and forth, and they're pretty funny. But he said something to the to the to the DJ that was like, "Look, this is not your radio station. Your kid can't get this." radio host spot because this isn't yours you're happy to be here and it was a, it was a volatile very high energy conversation and i think the basis of what this dude dame dash was saying was like i taught my kid to to sell stuff he sells cookies and dude pulls out his cookie right there on the show and i love that i fucking love that energy because it's one of those deals where it's like, I don't care what you do, monetize it, make a livelihood out of it, and and be free. That's what in-home business is essentially about. It's a it's one building block to freedom, right? It's kind of like a three-legged stool, and that's a pretty important that's an important leg to have on if you want to sit comfortably, right? So your in-home business is anything that you essentially would do for free and then you learn how to monetize it now how you monetize it it's plenty different ways if you got questions about that let's talk about it because there's different aspects i brought up the dame dash example in a breakfast club because there's passion behind that man it's yours you can give this to someone because you're not going to be here forever but your business can last centuries as long as there's living things, as long as it's creating value. And that's where my business starts from. I teach people again how to raise their puppies even before they get them. I tell a lot more people no than yes. You can come on as a client of mine because I get to choose. And um, I choose my clientele very carefully if they're if they're difficult for the reason of of not taking it serious of raising a pup i can't have my brand on that number one i don't need that toxic energy in my life if you can't tell by now business is very emotionally and psychologically related to your everyday life i remember i first started a podcast called um socratic skeptic business of life it's soon been deleted but um Life is business, and that's why I'm so shocked when people uh, tell me they can't open up their own business or do any of these things that all these other regular people are doing. If you go to China, you're going to find a million entrepreneurs, and you want to know why? Because everyone isn't fit for an office, and there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like To be a self-employed entrepreneur, you're in home business, that's that's where you want to be you can raise cultivate that keep your monthly expenses fairly low or if you're going to be a lavish spender add value add value learn how to monetize your product and um if i haven't beat that head beat that dead horse enough i guess i don't know what else to say about it other than like it's a beautiful thing when you can um not just make your own schedule, but choose who you work with. And working for anyone is so beneath you at some point. You're still in the service industry. And what everyone needs to realize is everyone's in the service industry. You're providing some sort of service. Even 
in law enforcement when I was enlisted, it's a service. Like they made, they're very careful with the, they're very careful with the diction when we got reprimanded for exerting too much force or anything like that. This is a service-based industry. Those are clients you're serving. So hey, economics rules all of this. And uh, be a part of the game. Don't just be a, a bypasser. Don't just be a victim to the circumstances or the margins life has placed around you. That's that's the life of a person of enterprise. I like to classify myself as a man of enterprise. And that's what my in-home business leads me to be. I, I It took me a while to find this. I used to do affiliate marketing, multi-level marketing. I used to... Um, I tried selling things online, but I noticed I was much better at affiliate marketing where it's just like I send people to my website and they could purchase things like at four wheel parts. And I would cater to that market, that military market, and then I get 10, 20 percent. And when I got a little bit more familiar with the actual owners of the store, I could cultivate a business relationship with them where. I can send more business their way and those people will get a greater discount. It's it's actually really cool when you deal with um, when you deal with other business owners because there's now there's there's all this creativity in between you and that person on how to construct a deal. And and all of these skills are so transferable into other parts of your life. Like real estate, for example, you start to understand that you don't need to have everything in a cookie cutter form. If you can't tell right now, we're, we're transitioning into the real estate part. And that's another part of your portfolio that's essential. And I guess what you need to understand from your business to real estate it's a good place to, to dump a lot of money because the asset is what's really important in real estate, not the finances. And um, I know that sounds a little counterintuitive. The price of the house is important, I suppose, when you're using other people's money. But what you really want to get is that house under contract. So I'm, I'm not going to uh, dive into make this a whole real estate specific session. But I do want to point out your in-home business excess funds, hypothetically speaking, if you're in that ballpark, can can be used to to build some genuine passive income. It doesn't become passive right away, but now you're going to jump into the investor block of of wealth. Right. So some of this stuff you may end up doing a lot on your own at first, like maintenance. Collecting rent things like that, but I'm not just talking about any sort of real estate investing. I'm talking about buy and hold, right? And the reason why I want you to do some sort of buying and holding is, uh, is man, there's so many tax benefits to it. I ran across this guy and he ends up being my coach in real estate and entrepreneurship. And he has this concept for 12 houses and the, the, the math pulls out. It's true in every way. I'll, I'll put the link in the in the description and I'll go from there, man. But it's 
real estate's essential because like your in-home business, that's something you can pass down. If you haven't caught the hint yet, we're talking about generational wealth here. And it's so important because imagine you starting your life in such a comfortable way that you can push your family to the next level, right? Okay, so since you imagine it just for the moment, realize that that's never going to happen. You started where you started, but you could do that for someone else. You could do that for your kid, your niece, your nephew. That's what that's what it's really about. And passing down those lessons. I only got to this point because I had some really awesome parents. I have plenty of mothers, plenty of fathers. And that's the easiest way I can put it. So it's a whole community that I listened to their wisdom. I took in consideration all their life lessons and I made my own path. And that's why I'm a man of enterprise, because I enjoy the journey, the hunt of finding the currency, I suppose. But more than anything, I like to chill. I like to relax and I like to do it unencumbered with worries. And that's what this life leads to. It's so chill sometimes. But I also take care of business when it needs to be taken care of. But my overall goal really is to do a lot of nothing and only dog stuff and only real estate stuff at most. Real estate is work. Let's get that out the way. Um, now, being an investor and you got those funds coming in, that's that's the next level for me. That's where I that's where I want me and my family to be sooner than later. So what's this real estate portfolio look like? When you're investing into it, buy and hold these homes. And when you have a portfolio of double digit homes and you find that you want to sell for one, already have that in mind when you're purchasing it. So, for example, if you have a hundred thousand dollar home. And you're already planning on buying and holding it and you hold it for 25 years. By year one. I would hope you had remembered what you would sell this for if you wanted to. So if it goes for now $600,000, depending on the area, because now the economy around that place has, has been built up. There's infrastructure. Now there's a lot of business around there. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go ahead and sell it. If that's your price, $500,000 increase. 25 years later that that's pretty cool there's nothing wrong with that but i guess the benefit of buying hold really is the rent roll that's what it is some people would say why don't you just get a multi-unit and stuff like that that's possible too because you're a person of enterprise you figure this out you create industry and some of this stuff is already created for you there's no need in reinventing the wheel if you're already seeing what you want is so close so I have this idea of moving forward with buy and hold concept just so I have a monthly income on a regular basis. I'm not worried about selling the place or anything like that. I'm looking at rent. I'm looking at how long can I make this house a livable area? What's the community look like? What's the schooling? What's the what's the industries around? For example, I invest in North Chicago. There's a military base. There's the old Abbott Laboratories. 
there's all this industry, Six Flags Great America. You know what I mean? We're in the time of COVID right now. So some of those industries are suffering. But I, I got to tell you, people are still paying rent. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not worried about flipping the house necessarily, even though that's part of me and my family's business plan as well. I prefer to just buy, hold, use piece of that rent to pay off the property and live off the rest. Rinse and repeat. That's good debt. That really is good debt. Real estate debt is good debt. I can't beat that in people's heads enough. I even have to reestablish it with my own team. That's that's okay debt. You know what I mean? Figure out the number that you need to live off of and go from there. Stocks is going to be really short section just because uh, I don't do it right now. But I still have a portfolio, not just with TD Ameritrade. I have it with E-Trade. I have Webbull, all that stuff. I have a buy and hold portfolio. I used to actively day trade. That has since stopped because of all the real estate rehabbing it is getting under my skin but that's some first world shit and that's where i like to keep it so um look if you're gonna do real estate this specific topic i want to talk about your buy and hold portfolio and how the market goes up over time regardless there's going to be fluctuations there's going to be market corrections but you're not really worried about that right and what what is the benefit to buying and holding and and stocks for example well i have a perfect reference for you the wall street trapper this dude lives off the dividends of his portfolio i don't even do that and i gotta tell you i i like the way that sounds i'll put his link down below uh i think he has an awesome program and this is a this is something that can be done by anybody if you do these three things in America, your in-home business, your real estate, and your stock portfolio, you're going to be good. Imagine not having to worry about rent if you decide to rent a place out. I prefer you to own a home, maybe house hack. But in the same token, if you got enough rental income coming in, if you got enough dividends coming in that you can just live off of, rent wherever the hell you want. Who am I to tell you? You know what I mean? At that point, you've already hacked the life. Yep, I'm, I'm, I literally mean you, you've done it. You, you can do whatever you want. Your expenses are low. Now you're free to create. Now you got plenty of time to, to, to cultivate that in-home business. So if you're a W-2 employee, just like I once was, this is going to be easy for you. Sit down, time, be a time theft, be a time thief, steal that time at work and learn something on that dime man. learn about these three things. So uh, I guess the last thing about your stock portfolio is um, maybe a little gee whiz. I can check this a little bit later, but more than likely when the stock market crashes or has a good good decade or anything like that you can kind of predict what the real estate market is going to do right or at least in a roundabout way according to 2020 as of right now the 14th of november 
financial specialists are the ones saying this. Guys like Dr. Boyce Watkins, for example, is a good reference. You can listen to Mark A one day one if you want. But again, I'm not a PhD in this. I do reference them because I don't have time to learn everything. And there's some specialists out there that just just know more than me. And I love that. And I use that. I I hope this resonates with people because when you're out there struggling to pay rent, that has to suck. I don't know what that feels like anymore, but that has to suck, man. And I empathize with you. I guess the other uh, deal is um, all of these are obtainable goals for every person. Not just in the world, but in America, man. Like, no matter where you start at in life. And, um... It's possible. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everyone starts in the same level in life, but it's possible to get all three of these things. In fact, I make sure that my nieces and nephews have an abundance of this information well in advance. Some one of them just turned 13. And they've been hearing this for at least a couple years and the younger ones even before then I've even played games with them about it. Because that's, that's how children learn. All right. If we can switch topics for a little bit, I'd like to uh, address John. John Levinston for Angry Black Rant Z. Podcast that I do love, thoroughly enjoy. Uh, I had a Black Veterans Day episode this last episode. And I want to um, I want to address a few things as far as comments go. John, thank you again. For um, posting that, I am uh, banned from Facebook temporarily, not forever. I typically do say some um, inflammatory things according to regular society. That just means they're uh, kind of spineless, honestly. We'll get into that later. But um, and th- there are a few things I, I do want to address because I can't just comment on them. But um, there's a young man in the group that John put and I say young man reluctantly because I don't know this person but he has the same name as my friend so uh, last name at least Reggie Livingston alright here we go in context we're talking about my last episode this is a completely new season that's the last episode of the old season black fat I had some things I had to get off my chest and um, not necessarily solely concerning economics but it's part of what led me on my journey to complete financial freedom and being a, a man of enterprise like that's how I like to describe myself I'd rather not be an entrepreneur by common day vernacular so um, I guess overall Mr. Reggie Livingston wants to know if I like what rank I left as I left the Air Force as an E5 which is a staff sergeant I was uh I don't know I I forget the formal terms but your first year as an E4 you used to be able to be considered a like junior NCO but that changed by my time so technically an E5 
starting off as a junior NCO. I happen to be a senior, senior sort of a junior NCO as far as that rate goes because I held it for quite a while. I was in um, I was enlisted active duty for eight years and then I went to the guard for another three. And uh, yeah, I completely left as an E5 and um, my experience consisted of just being a regular patrolman security to becoming a canine handler which led to being solely a patrolman you still do security stuff here and there but you're doing base security but you're also like you're still pulling people over you're still doing duis you still have all the same training as a patrolman i just happen to have an additional canine duty which i loved finally got paid to do something that i thought i would thoroughly enjoy and love turns out i hated being a cop so got the fuck out of that and then um and then you go into uh my contracting and i started running across the same thing so one of reggie's livingston's post was a um i guess i should read it out loud so i can answer it correctly So Reggie is uh, commenting, I just think it would be interesting to know if he had the opportunity to mentor any junior enlisted that were experiencing what he went through. He abso He's absolutely right about the, subtly, uh, the subtility, subtility of racism. I would like to know if he helped anyone through it or just got out. So um, I did help and I do help. Mr. Reggie Livingston, I um, I actively mentor other people as well as learn from them, specifically young black men, because that's uh, I think as I have been mentored and still am being mentored by my elders, specifically very strong black men in particular some quiet some loud it's it's uh it's a good mix i have a good pool of wisdom a, a good pool of wisdom to pull from whenever i don't have the answer for the questions proposed to me because this is a journey in life essentially and the military is just one part of my chapters in the life but i guess um that each one reaching one never stops. I I still have a healthy enlisted circle that I keep affiliated with, and they're fully aware for the most part on my stance in America, of America, and why I have that stance. Now, um, I guess what I do want to approach is the concept of staying in and helping versus getting out of the service and helping, right? Because I'm free to do a lot more now than I was when I was enlisted. When I was enlisted, I think some people forget that the, the word sergeant, its root word, pretty sure it's Latin. I'm not going to look it up, but I do remember going through training where the senior NCOs, the senior officers would would talk to us about servitude, right? And the word sergeant or sarge in of itself means servant. But you're openly subordinated, 
when you're in the military. And I didn't always fit that mold because of, um, I mean, to be frank, how well-informed I was on life. If there was a, ever a cognitive dissonance I had, it would be one of my parents, my uncle in particular, forced me to be so informed and read on social situations that I, I couldn't help but but be angry at a lot of things. So while I was enlisted, I started to run across a lot of this stuff. I made sure that the younger subordinates that I would have or I would see other people having difficulty with didn't run into those same roadblocks because um, I was helped like that as well. And uh, some brothers, even even though they knew I wasn't going to stay in, they prepared me just in case I did. They made sure that my records or my ratings and all that stuff was always competitive because there were people that tried to completely lower my ranking, lower my, my ratings as far as enlisted performance report and things like that. I mean, I'm not saying that other people weren't good in themselves, but while I was enlisted to be upfront, both of us were shining, for example, but they were more like a candle and I was literally the sun. I, you're talking about a dude who had it made, not the whole time, but I had a pretty good enlisted career. And some have it much better. That's why they stay in. Better for them. But my goal was freedom. My goal was to help more. My goal was to be a bigger platform of servitude and not just serve without question. So, um, end up being an oil and water situation. I would describe the military service that I've had as a, a marriage. It was cool when I started. I didn't have anything. I, I was adopted. I was an orphan and understanding that like, look, I'm a grown man now. You know, my parents had convinced me to wait a year, do college, wait a year before I uh, enlisted. I was uh, 17 when I tried to join, waited until I was 18, let them know that, hey, college isn't working. This shit is whack <laughs> to be up front. And then, uh, yeah, I went and enlisted, saying it, it, everything was good from there. It was like, man, my family loves what I'm doing. I got a little bit of money at the time to me. I was like, man, this is a lot of fucking money, man. <laughs> this is a lot. I'm, do, I'm doing pretty good. In reality, it was pennies. It really was. But when you come from a certain background, in this case, poverty, and this is my first taste of living as an adult on my own. So I was like, oh, man, this is pretty, this is cool. And the positive reinforcement I had behind it led me to believe that I was on the right path. Um, I would slowly learn that uh, I was not on the right path. I wasn't on my true, genuine journey of uh, self-actualization. But I did learn a lot as most people in their 20s do by default the military just happens to be one of my experiences but i help and still help a lot of specifically black men if there's any um black women that need help i have a list of sisters that i i have 
ready to take those calls from them because I can't I can maybe help on certain things. But black women's journey is completely different as far as what needs to be catered to as advice. And there's just things that I can't advise them on. Right. Um, and I hope most people would understand that. So there uh, what's nice about being enlisted. And I don't know if you were or not, Mr. Reggie, because all this conversation is for you is uh you meet some quality people and i know john can tell you about it and the thing is um when you meet so many people that have things in common with you man woman anything like that in between you end up seeing that we really aren't so different so when I started to run into trouble about bringing up racist comments, racist concepts, racist structure while I was enlisted, it fundamentally became a problem where I couldn't help certain people anymore. And uh, I guess I'll give you an example. So that's not so cryptic. Um, I mentioned earlier that my ratings were protected because there were older black men in prominent positions in the squadron to protect my profile, my EPR specifically, right? Well, I noticed that as an NCO, I didn't have that power. I didn't have that say-so. I could make formal complaints, but the system behind that was already established. It just pretty much it's a distraction to make sure that you feel like you're heard to only have the same more than likely the same outcome like you really need a smoking gun to protect certain people while they're enlisted and uh i thought i could change that as commissioning i was on a route to commission fortunately i had some i had some pretty good foresight and i opted out of that as well only because i i say all that because right now as a as a regular civilian Mark A. Daniels, I do a lot more for my enlisted friends and counterparts and people who stayed enlisted than I could have did when I was with them. And that was pretty much the biggest reason why I left was like, I'm useless here. Like, I know I'm talented in certain areas. I know I have a lot to offer, but it will only be offered if I'm allowed to do it. And uh, I guess the best way I can tell you about that is like, the military can literally control what you put on social media. You can be reprimanded for a lot of stuff. You're not your own person anymore. So the, all, all those enlisted people that have social media platforms and stuff like that, they have to take special provisions to do such. Even if you're enlisted and you have a, another job, you actually need permission to do that. So when people are saying, oh, you know, The thing that when people are speaking on the sacrifices of the military, I view that as one of those sacrifices. Although that my last episode for the black vet makes it sound like I hate the military. I I hate only the concepts of subjecting people to to subordination, specifically black vets and subordination in the worst possible way. Not a supervisor subordinate relationship, but a permanent subordination where you don't give people the chance to grow. But again, like I said in the last episode, it is one of the more progressive um, 
institutions in America, but I, I couldn't help in the way that I wanted to. And that was killing me, like literally. Um, suicide, why you're enlisted, is a, a well-explored concept, whether it be fast or whether it be slow. Drinking and driving, for example. I was horrible at it when I was enlisted. Like, I mean, honestly, I've drank on duty because it's that much of a toxic environment. And you have to fake, not just sober, but you have to fake who you are in order to make it further in that in that world. And I think there's a lot of parallels here where people are, might listen to this and be like, well, bitch, that's just everywhere. No, that's not everywhere. That's that's in corporate America. The Air Force happens to be very similar to corporate America. Um, what is my reference? So many corporate partners. It's, it's a lot of parallel there. Um, Military is big business if people didn't know. And it needs to be understood. It's an institution just like any other it just happens to have an allegiance to an office. So um, I, I did want to address that with you. Uh, I, I left that at a, a NCO rank, E5. I did help, still do help. And uh, my main reason for leaving was freedom, happiness, health, all those things. My first time ever out of the country, I went to Iraq. That shit, that's, it sucked. That was bullshit. I didn't. I remember thinking, all right, life is overrated, but I'm not going to let this be my experience. My first experience out of the country couldn't be that. Um, again, you make some awesome friends, man. You, you, you meet some quality motherfucking people. And that's that is priceless. But the thing is. If I could do it all over, bro, I don't. I wouldn't enlist. I would have never sworn in. I would have stayed home, and my experiences would be different, but they would still have been quality. Because I'm okay saying I'm a quality dude. Like I, I value the actual relationships that I have, and in comparison to what people look as a an honorable profession. I don't know how I feel about that as far as the people who enlist aren't bad people, but it's a job like anything else. So because of what I believe as far as marketing goes, for example, the NFL has plenty of deals with Department of Defense, and it's just a recruitment tool for the most part, man. And then you have a platform like that really promoting the military. So people think you're out there really doing stuff. And you're not, man. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the real deal. You're, you're really not. Um, I don't know the last war that was technically for our freedom per se. I mean, technically maybe World War II. But all this other stuff, you got to admit, at some point if you look at where and why we're doing things as a nation in the military. It's like, that's that's not fighting for freedom. So I hope I answered your question thoroughly. Um, I will uh, make sure I send this to John to end everything. If you guys have any questions about 
the three principles of wealth. That's super important to me. If you got any questions about the military or you just want to chop it up about pretty much how shitty it could be and how fucking funny it is. There's a lot of I pretty much became a, a very cynical comedian while I was enlisted because you got to embrace that suck. That shit does blow a lot of times and it's funny. Filling up sandbags is fucking funny. Not while you're doing it, looking back on it. Like, wanting to fight your supervisor is fucking funny. Not everything's funny in the military, but life, to me, is a big joke. And uh, I like to see where I can take it. My name's Mark A. Daniels. This is Mark A. A one day one, and I'm out. Break.